Hey everybody, oh my gosh, uh, Sandra, we have uh, really a special episode for everybody uh, coming up next, don't we? We do. This is really neat. We've never done one like this, uh, so you got to listen to the whole thing. Yeah, we, we were introduced to Chris Field, who, who's just, uh, he's an amazing human, founder and executive director of the Mercy Project. He's been involved in business and ministry. Um, he ran for mayor of College Station, Texas, uh, in his early 20s. Uh, and er, his story is incredible. And But here's, so we realized, Sandra and I, as you and I were getting to know Chris, there are so many connections with one of our other favorite guests we've ever had on the podcast and my personal friend, Ford Taylor. And Chris, uh, his Mercy Project is... He founded to free enslaved children in Ghana, and we knew that Ford has also worked in this. So we invited Ford to be on as kind of like another co-host, and we have, I think, one of the deepest, richest conversations we've had. And, oh, my gosh, did we talk about some incredible things. And I would summarize this, Sandra, is how do we actually step out of kind of our box and in some of our norms and some of the things to what Chris talks about, to be a disruptor, to actually do some of those things that in our head that we're thinking about that we want to make a difference, whether it's in our family, our church, our community, or, or a cause like Chris is doing over in Ghana, Africa. Right, Sandra? Yeah. And what I love about it is you can be a disruptor today with your children when they get off the school bus, or you can be a disruptor today when you meet your spouse at the garage door, when they come home from a long day at work. And yes, you can be a disruptor in the government in Ghana, helping change child slavery. But the point of this is, you know, if we're authentic and, and we're real and we're people of action, that we can do amazing things that it's all, we already have everything we need. God already gave it all to us. And so this is just a really neat way to just sort of, um, inspire us to go out there and, and be disruptors for great change. Yeah. So what you're going to hear everybody is, is why disrupting is important, what it is and actually how to do it. So we're going to turn that over to this amazing interview. And please, if you guys are, are just loving what we're putting out, tell a friend, go to the iTunes or Stitcher and subscribe, leave us a rating and review. We'd also love to see you in the Facebook group at Eternal Leadership. And if we are just not hitting the mark, we would love to hear any feedback from, from anybody listening on how do we make this better for you. So with that, you here is the conversation with Sandra and I and Chris and Ford. All right, guys, Eternal Leadership audience, uh, John Ramsett here with Sandra Crawford-Williamson. And, man, we got something really cool for you guys today. Uh, Chris Field, uh, who is coming on the show, uh, started the, the Mercy Project. Chris, you've accomplished some just incredible things in your life. Like the, the story I love is your girlfriend was going to run a marathon, and you've never run ever something like that, never even trained. And, and Ford, he jumped in. And we have Ford Taylor on the line, everybody, who you guys all love Ford Taylor, transformational leadership. And um, Chris jumps in and finishes the whole marathon. So you can tell that uh, Chris is one of these guys that just does. And he wrote this amazing book called Disrupting for Good, Using Passion and Persistence to Create Lasting Change. And Ford, who founded Transformational Leadership, Transformation is about permanent, lasting change. And I found out, uh, right, Sandra, that we were sitting there talking, and, and Chris and Ford, you guys both live, uh, both Texas A&M graduates, 
Um, you guys are a little bit rabid about your alma mater, which is, you know, which is part of your part of your appeal because I love you guys. Um, but you know what? Uh, both, but Ford and Chris have tackled some incredible issues in this world outside of business and outside of leadership. And we were just having a conversation. And uh, man, it was so rich and deep. And we just wanted to invite you guys in on that. And we asked Ford if he would maybe just start asking, you know, uh, we have uh, some limited time with Ford, but uh, Ford, I would love for you, uh, from your perspective, having worked with leaders around the world, causes around the world, uh, to maybe highlight some of the things and and, uh, maybe ask Chris some questions. Well, John, thanks for inviting me on. I, like I said, I was looking forward to meeting Sandra and, and Chris, and it turned into us doing this. So thank you for that. And uh, Chris, I mean, what you're doing, not just in America, but around the world is so encouraging. And the way you're funding it, and uh, tell the, the people, uh, as y'all know, we have so many things in our world that are systemic. They're growing at a growing rate. And, and so many of our listeners may not be aware of some of those things, you know, like depression and, and suicide. Uh, pornography, you know, abortion even, that, that people wish they, especially for the ones who wish they didn't, bulimia, uh, poverty, but but a big one is, is slavery. And a lot of people don't even realize that slavery is at an all-time high in our world, and it's growing at a growing rate. And Chris, God's put some stuff on your heart. And, and i and I got to tell you this, John, real quick. I can tell you, if the body of Jesus Christ were as committed to each other as Texas A&M Aggies are, we could change the world in about 48 hours. But that's the <laughs> that's way right. we go there. Gig them. But I, I think Chris would, would confirm that. But Chris, tell us about some of the things you're doing, about your vision around the mercy ministry that you're doing, about even even the runs that, and how all that's connected. Share that with the audience, because it's just powerful. Yeah, thank you. So first, such an honor to to be here, especially with <laughs> with this company. You guys are all great people, and it's I'm uh, on, honestly just really um, humbled to be here. So the the first thing I think for to answer your question, when I first went to Ghana, 2009, I didn't even I didn't even know this was happening. I mean, I I was doing a lot of urban ministry in America, working with a lot of people in poverty, children in poverty. And I had no idea that there was places in the world where people were so poor that they thought it might be better to sell their children to at least be able to have some small fish every day, as the parents tell us, uh, and that there was fishermen so desperate to be able to make money for their own families that they would buy these small children. And it just kind of rocked my world on that on that first trip, just the reality. I mean, I'm sitting in a fishing boat on the world's largest man-made lake, Lake Volta in Ghana, Africa. And I've got a kid sitting next to me. He can't speak to me. I can't speak to him. And he's holding my hands. And to know that this child was sold for $20 was just, mm-hmm. it was truly unfathomable to me. And so I came home. I was preaching at a church in Dallas at the time. And my wife was six months pregnant with our first baby. And we, we knew we were going to name our little girl Micah, and we'd been praying over my wife's belly that our daughter would be a woman of justice and mercy. And I remember just weeping the day I got home from that trip from Ghana and asking my wife, how can we expect our daughter to be a woman of justice and mercy if we don't model that for her as her parents? I mean, if mm-hmm. we don't show her 
what that looks like in a way that costs us something. I, I don't think it's fair for us ever to expect her to, to be that kind of woman herself. And so that began the vision that we said, okay, God, we, we believe the prophet Micah when he said, what does God require is to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly. So these kids need someone to act justly and, and love mercy with them and for them. And so that was the beginning of mercy project. So Essentially, what we've done, we've gone into Ghana, this amazing country, beautiful people, some of the most compassionate and, and generous people I've ever met in my life. And we've gone onto this big lake and began these relationships where we're teaching the men who own these children a new way to fish. We're teaching them how to do aquaculture or cage fishing so that they no longer need the labor of the kids. And when we do that, it lets them go on this journey from shame to freedom, shame to pride, and they voluntarily release the kids. And so actually just last week, uh, we rescued our, our latest group of children, which makes 116 kids that we've rescued in the last seven years and reintegrated back into their families. And on the back end with the families, uh, we're teaching them basically how to be parents and how to provide for their kids from sex education to teaching them how to balance the books to teaching them how to budget and take care of their family emotionally and physically and spiritually. Uh, you know, I'll say this about Ghana. Ghana knows about Jesus. So, so much of the country is Christian. They've been proselytized. They've been told the story of Jesus. What Ghana lacks, in my humble opinion, of being, being there 40 times in the last seven years and having American staff that lives there, they lack discipleship. And they lack uh, long-term people coming alongside of them and walking with them into deepening from, yes, I believe in Jesus, to yes, I'm willing to follow Jesus, even when it costs me something. And so probably my proudest uh, piece of Mercy Project, or certainly one of them, is that we put two Americans in the middle of the bush in Ghana, and uh, they moved into a, a little village that had only had electricity for seven years before, uh, since we got there, they'd only had it for seven years. And, and they walked alongside these people beautifully. I mean, women who were in abusive relationships and men who were alcoholics and uh, people who were selling their kids out of desperation and all people who would say they, they follow Jesus and they love Jesus. And the fruit just wasn't there because of, of sin and because of, uh, difficulty in, in some of the realities of Ghana. So getting to walk alongside the people and reunite these kids back into their families has been, it's been really powerful and it's been beautiful. Wow, Chris, that is such a cool story. Uh, you know, it's interesting that, that so much of Africa and Ghana being one of them, you know, they, they got their proselytization, you know, from America and from Europe. And they got a, you know, they got an American version of Christianity, which is let's go make a bunch of believers. And yep. the the big thing that I think we know, especially for those of us who travel the world and in the country, is the big thing that's been missing is we're not doing our job making disciples. Uh, and the right. fact that you're doing that on both ends. So tell us what what does it look like when you see a child reunited uh, with with their parents? Oh well, it's one of the holiest things I think I'll ever see this side of heaven, uh, to see a mom. I'm, I'm, I'm picturing right now. I wish the viewers, uh, could see this picture, but I'll try to describe it for you. My favorite image is a, a larger Ghanaian woman in a purple shirt 
who is wiping her tears away with mm. a Kleenex as she as she hugs her daughter that she told us she thought she'd never see again. Uh, a poor poor mother had to send her little girl away so that at least the girl could eat. And she said she prayed every night that she might be able to see her again, but never thought it would it would be possible. And so it reminds me a lot of the prodigal son and, and not the children have chosen to leave and uh, doesn't match up exactly with the story, but the joy that I think the father felt in that parable and the joy that I think God feels when we come home, uh, it's the closest, it's the closest thing I, I think I'll ever see. And I'll tell you for one of the things that's um, just really beautiful when you, when you talk about proselytization or some of the realities that's, just to give give our listeners a sense of that, there's a place in Ghana where you can go and visit a slave castle. So it's right on the coast. So Ghana was one of the places where the, the largest number of slaves came to America and to South America and all over the world from Africa. And there's, a, I mean, they literally have this castle that's standing there and they've got a what they call the door of no return, which is this small little door that the slaves walk through. President Obama visited this castle when he was president. I mean, it's a it's a powerfully horrible place to be. And in the middle of that castle is a church. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and people would gather in that church on Sundays and worship God and read scripture 50 feet away from slaves shackled to the walls and they saw no problem with that. And all I could think about as I stood there, what are the shackles that we're not even paying attention to right now in 2018? I mean, when we're sitting in our churches and we know if we're honest, that we're surrounded by people who are chained to chained to the wall, chained to sin, chained to pain and, and neglect and abuse and poverty and despair and hopelessness. And, and I just couldn't help but think when somebody walks through my life in a hundred years, 200 years, what are they going to look and say, man, he, he worshiped right here and never even saw this person. He, he never even, you know, comprehended the reality of this pain that was just, just around the corner. So that's a really powerful place. And it's, it's played that imagery and that metaphor has played an important role in my life as I've tried to consider some of those blind spots in my own life. Well, Chris, thank, thank you for painting that picture of that mother, because anyone with a child, I mean, yep. anyone listening right now that has a child, uh, I would encourage you to keep painting that picture, because if they have a child, they will do as I did, a lump in my throat and tears in my eyes, mm-hmm. even as I would picture my daughters uh, being brought back to me. So please keep painting those pictures. And, you know, it wasn't that many generations ago that here in America that we were doing the same thing. You know, we were justifying slavery on church on Sunday morning. You know, we were calling our founding fathers, you know, our, we were actually calling them our Christian founding fathers. And, and they're actually the ones that not only legalized slavery, they put a tax on it and, 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 and did all kinds of things. So we're not that many generations away from mm-hmm. exactly what we're seeing in Ghana. And, and as you know, it, it's a blind spot. And, and, and the people, the thing I do love about the African people uh, and particularly these people in Ghana, is that when their eyes are open to this, because they do, they, they do have a, a revelation of Jesus, but when their eyes are open to these lies and the truth is revealed, they move pretty quickly. 
And so thank you for continuing to open eyes and, and revealing truth, because I, like you, don't want to look back 200 years from now and say, what in the world was Ford Taylor thinking <laughs> when he said that, that? Where did that Absolutely. come from? Well, you know, the the metaphor about the castle, Chris, my goodness, it, man, mm-hmm. that is so powerful that here's everybody worshiping 50 feet away or are these slaves about to go through this door to never be seen again, and, and they're okay with it. And, and what does that look like today in our comfortable, crazy, Mach 5, over-caffeinated, you know, social media-connected world where we're busy? And I, I would maybe love to open that up to Sandra, Chris, Ford, what are some of those things that maybe all of us should maybe think about or consider uh, that could be maybe some of those constraints that hold us back from maybe doing the the real work that we're created and called to do? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, as a mom listening to that story and picturing that image is is powerful. I agree with Ford and the church inside of the slave castle. I mean, Ford said it, we're not too far removed from that ourselves. Mm. And, you know, I, I tend to look around American society today. And I think today in America, while people are walking around thinking, well, we don't have human slavery in America. Actually, sex slavery is alive and well in America. I live in Dallas, and um, when we had the Super Bowl here, it was the number one city for human Mm -hmm. sex trafficking in the world for that week leading up to the Super Bowl. And just think about that. You know, we live in our pretty little American society. We're going to the Super Bowl. We're paying, you know, crazy money for tickets and hotels, and we're having fun with our families. And right next door in the the hotel room, you know, down the hallway, this could be happening. And so the, the, the blind eye that we turn, I think is in, in some regard, it's innocence because people don't know, but, um, on some level it's the, oh, well, you know, I'm going to go on with my life. Like John said, you know, I'm a, I'm a working mom with three kids and I'm just trying to get everything done in the day. And, um, you know, we don't take that extra moment to to notice things. And so one mm-hmm. of the most profound classes I've ever gone to was a, it was a, don't remember the name, but it was like a sex slavery awareness class on how to recognize signs of it. Like if you're in a Walmart or you're at a gas station or you're at a hotel, um, you know, how to, to recognize. And that was so profound because all of a sudden, you know, it was like the scales fell from my eyes. So um, I don't know, Ford or Chris, if you guys want to talk about that, but, you know, sex slavery or or just kind of that awareness that people today listening in America could could learn from. Yeah, I'll chime in really quickly. I think you're right. I mean, I want to drive the point home on the Super Bowl just to make sure everyone listening is clear on what you're saying. Wherever the Super Bowl is, every year that's the biggest place for sex trafficking because there's no need to advertise to your customers where you're going to be if they know every year that as long as they go where the Super Bowl is, they can find women for sale. And I think one of the, there are many reasons this happens, sex trafficking, but I think one of the things we have to be honest about is the people that have the money to buy that kind of sex 
are the kind of people who are successful business people sitting in churches on and board meetings on Sundays and Mondays. And as long as we're not willing to engage difficult topics like pornography and sex and violence and fantasies and broken marriages and some of these hard, difficult topics that I don't hear talked about that often in churches because they're uncomfortable, we're going to continue to have a culture where men are, are, are sneaking around uh, paying, for, paying for sex. And when men are sneaking around paying for sex, uh, people are going to sell them sex. And when, and when there's money to be made, people are going to break the law and, and women are going to be, are going to be harmed. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a sad, sad reality and it's not going to get fixed uh, until we let Jesus fix it. And it's not going to get fixed by Jesus until we give Jesus control by actually talking about it. You know, Ford, something about you that has always, you know, just uh, inspired me to go deeper personally is your level of vulnerability and authenticity. These topics that we're talking about on this podcast is something people don't hear about much. Most people um, aren't comfortable even diving into some of these subjects. And you have created some incredible transformations in people personally where they're willing to actually talk about some of these things. And if you have time, I'd love for you to maybe just share a few thoughts uh, to build on what Chris said. And what are those, some of those things that we can do to actually, you know, personally change some of those things that actually change the dialogue that we have, you know, you know, personally, locally, which I, I believe can have an effect across the city or across the nation. Uh, yeah. Thank you, John. It, it's interesting that, that I, uh, I, I don't know if I'm humbled. I have the honor. It's so hard to explain, you know, when you get to travel to these other countries and other cities and, and get to have these, these kind of tough, tough dialogues. And I get told in many places in the world, uh, mainly by white people, man, you get away with saying things we would never get away with. And, and I, you know, but when you've had, you know, when you've touched either in your personal life or seen someone and, and as you know, I, you know, I did cheat on my wife for three years. I was one of these people that stuck around and did sex behind her back. And, and so I know what that's like. I, I never went to a prostitute. I, I never bought a slave, but you know what? You're only, you're only one degree away when, when you hit that level, you know, when you're deep into pornography, you're only one, you know, one website away that, of someone chatting and saying, Hey, come see me. I mean, it, so any of us, I tell people, all of us, you know, we're one of been away from getting ourselves in trouble. And one guy challenged me on that. He goes, how do you explain that? I said, have you ever taken a leak on a golf course? He said, yeah, okay. You're one leak away from getting arrested for indecent exposure. And my point <laughs> is, you know, it, it, you know, all of us. But the problem is we have these things that penetrate us and hurt us so bad. And instead of dealing with the pain, instead of dealing with the insecurity, and, and John, you've heard me say this. I believe we learned a lot of this in church. You know, we learned to live in shame. We learned to live in insecurity. But, but when you've watched, when you've walked close to something, and either experienced it yourself, or watched someone else experience it, and you see the truth behind it, if you really have the Spirit of God living within you, you can't not stand up and do something about it. But if you've never seen it, if you've never been a part of it. Uh, you know, Chris, I, I have one of my daughters was in New York City, and 
and she took a, a ride, and I can't remember if it was Lyft or Uber, I think it was Lyft, and, and they drove right by her workplace, and they were heading through the tunnel out of Manhattan over to the island, and she was telling the guy to stop, 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 and he wouldn't stop because she knew what was coming. I mean, she, and thank goodness the tunnel uh, was backed up, and when it stopped, mm-hmm. she jumped out of the car and grabbed a policeman, and they came over and got him. But, I mean, she was one ride away from this herself. And, and yeah. so when you, you know, when, when you're that close to something, when, when those little kids in those countries grab your hand and hold your hand and, and tears pour out of your eyes, John, when those men that are struggling with this, this addiction of sex, you know, when, when they can talk to someone who's struggled with it, that can help them, or someone who's held a loaded gun in their hand like I have, you know, and almost took my life, you know, the because, like Chris said, what you said, John, because we won't talk about those things, you know, in the church, we sweep them under the carpet. They just continue to grow to grow and right. And so I'm thankful, especially when young men like Chris, I've still got, I got too much gray hair probably to, to be as significant as you can be, Chris, but in the change. Uh, but thank you for doing it. Wow. Thank you. That's powerful. Now, Chris um, and, and and Ford, you know, as as you guys are looking at, you know, some of the some of these things, right? That that we clearly can make an impact, right? We were we were called to work with widows and orphans specifically. Um, you know, what are some of the things that you guys have both maybe seen that is working? Um, on a positive note that is really maybe uh, facilitating or, or, or creating success in actually making, you know, uh, an impact in some of these areas, both here in the U.S., but we have listeners all around the world. So, you know, these are causes that I'm sure people are very connected to. Well, John, since Chris is not jumping out, he may have his phone yeah, ahead, talking. Boy. But, but, if, but Chris, go if ahead. you want to go first, feel free to do that. No, you go ahead, please. Okay, John, the thing that uh, I, I was talking to one of our local leaders here in the city I live in last night, and I said, you know, things are shifting. I mean, eyes, you know, blinders, blinders are coming off eyes to believers around the world. And, and what I'm seeing, John, is that, you know, believers that, that truly have the spirit of God living within them. I mean, that, that it's real to them that business people and government leaders are starting to dialogue at a, at a much deeper and higher level of how to fix some of these things. Because if you don't fix some of the, the systemic pro- poverty, you can't fix, you know, the, the social injustice of slavery. You can't fix the prison system. And so what's encouraging me, and, you know, I was sharing with you all earlier that in September, you know, there are business leaders and government leaders and pastoral leaders coming together in Ghana, right there where Chris is working, from around the world to really talk about, uh, we met last year in Cape Town, what are the five biggest issues to deal with? And, and they came up with those, and they came back and said, okay, what are the three biggest things that we know of? Uh, well, actually, they said five that could be solutions to these five things. And they came up with three, and they said, wow, if we really did these three things at those levels of business, government, church, and education, we really could impact. So they broke it down and made it pretty simple. And the encouraging part is now to be able to go 
into a country in Africa. And I'd, I'd love to see this happen here in America, too. But to go to a country and have leaders of that influence, you know, from multiple countries to focus on a country, to take on those five issues and, and do these three things and really focus on doing that, to me, that's just, that's encouraging. That's, to me, I see, I see the possibility of movement uh, for people to come to that level and go deep. Yeah, and what were you going to say, yeah, Chris? I, yeah, no, I agree with I agree with all of that, and I think I'll add one piece. I I've long said, if we're going to solve problems forever and work ourselves out of jobs, which should be the, the the goal of anyone in ministry and nonprofit that's trying to solve problems, is sustainable solutions that outlast our lifetimes. And we're going to have to have answers that are complex enough to match the complexity of the problem. And for too long, we've tried to, in nonprofit and ministry, we've tried to solve these really hard, deep, systemic, complex problems with these overly simple solutions. And I think we're finally realizing that just doesn't work. I mean, the, the, the intelligence and the creativity and the passion and the urgency that are going to be required to solve these problems are, are going to be, I mean, it's going to, it's going to have to be manufactured and, and created. I actually teach a class uh, forward at the A&M business school on Mays called using business to solve social problems. And the capstone project in that class for the semester is my students they make a five minute presentation as if they're presenting to the CEO of their for-profit company they work for on one way that their large company, Accenture, McKinsey, I mean, these big companies that they're going to go work for, what is a five minute proposal of how your company can leverage their dollars and their social influence to solve a big social problem. And some of the solutions these students are coming up with are just absolutely brilliant. I mean, the kind of stuff that will truly generationally change uh, some of the issues that we're talking about. So I believe it can be done, and I believe it's going to require a lot of humility of groups working together and nobody needing the credit, people being willing to sacrifice their name being listed somewhere as a problem solver in, in effort for the thing just to get done. And it's going to take a lot of creativity, but I'm I'm very bullish on uh, believing that that we're moving the right direction, and a lot of really really good stuff is happening. Chris, I man, that I love how you are equipping them, and I, I and I know one of your big kind of your ethos about who you are and how you operate is to be that disruptor, and that led to the book that you wrote about. And I'd love for you to speak to those folks, right? They've maybe been in a class like that. Now they're in a work environment. There's an established culture, or maybe I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm listening to this and, and some of these issues really resonate with me. Um, what does it look like to kind of take that foot forward, maybe, you know, out of your box, out of your comfort zone and be a disruptor in a, in a you know for profit company culture that you're in right now to start affecting you know uh, some other you know positive outcomes. Yeah, so the book is called Disrupting for Good, and it was written for the exact purpose of what you're describing. Is that I sincerely and deeply believe 
that every single person, each one of us, everyone listening, each of us on this call, we have the gifts and the capability and the capacity to disrupt for good. And my definition of disruption is that when someone is uncomfortable with a truth, so they show up, they stick around, and they stay until a new truth has been born. And the truth is, we all have things in the world that make us uncomfortable. Every single one of us, from marriages to our relationships with our kids to being addicted to technology or pornography to, or alcohol to uh, the way we manage our finances to being in debt. I mean, we could sit here and list a thousand things that a thousand different people listening to this podcast are uncomfortable with. Most people just bury those things and just try to move on without ever dealing with them. And my call is do not bury those things. Uh, be the kind of person who disrupts for good. And that means disrupting those truths that make us uncomfortable. So I think the first thing, honestly, John, is admit that there's things that make you uncomfortable. Admit that there's things that we, I do and you do and Ford does and Sandra does every single day, things that make us feel uncomfortable and things we don't love about ourselves, ways that the fruit of the Spirit is not being born in our lives. Maybe it's the way we speak to our employees. Maybe it's the way we spend our money. Maybe it's the way we spend our time. Maybe it's our fixation on income or things. The uniqueness of this is that it's different for every single person. But whatever that, whatever that truth is that feels uncomfortable, the first step is just to acknowledge that. And then I have what I call my disruption map, which is, and Ford, it was uh, your friend and my friend, Johnny Myers, who actually uh, worked with me on mapping this out, but it's making a commitment an action plan, and then persisting. And so once we will acknowledge that truth we're uncomfortable with, big or small, and we make a commitment that we're willing to do what we need to do, and we're willing to do what we can do to change that truth, and then the action plan is as simple as it sounds. It's sitting down with a list, a piece of paper, and a pen, and listing out what needs to change to create a new and better truth. And if somebody's trying to lose weight, like one of the women in my book who lost something like 300 pounds without any surgery, she just said, look, I need to start eating more fruits and vegetables. I need to start taking my, my uh, time at lunch. I need to start walking the stairs in my building. I mean, that was the first two things she did. And over time, her list of actionable plans changed. And she became, it had to go deeper and more complex. What she did, deal with some emotional eating and stuff like that. But at the outset, it was really simple. Eat more fruits and vegetables, start walking during lunch. And then the last one, honestly, it's the least uh, sexy thing I'm going to say all day. And it's the one where a lot of people unplug. You just have to keep persisting. Keep showing up every single day. Put another brick in the path that you're working to build. Do the hard work. Do the messy work. And just keep showing up every single day. I am amazed at how many success stories, the most impressive thing about them is that the person just kept showing up every single day. And, and I don't think we can overstate the importance of that in a culture that uh, chases the butterfly around and doesn't pay <laughs> attention, uh, you know, doesn't, doesn't focus and isn't willing to, isn't willing to just keep showing up. So I hope that answers your question, John. In very basic form, those are very tangible, actionable, practical steps that anybody anywhere can do today uh, to begin disrupting for good. 
You know, thank you for sharing that. And Ford, are you still with us? I am. Um, I want to be sensitive to your time if you need to run. Um, if you have, I would love for you to maybe share from what, you know, Chris's framework there. Um, you know, I work with so many people and I see, you know, that commitment. They have that idea. They're excited. They put together the action plan. They actually move into it. But it's the persistence over time that I see as something that that falters, that leads a lot of people to not, you know, making a difference in their own personal lives, their marriage, or something they're excited about. Um, and what have you seen in that area that have helped people really kind of, you know, keep showing up like Chris talked about? Well, John, as you, as you know, I, I love to talk about our box thinking, you know, the way we think inside of a box. And we've been told forever to learn to think outside the box. And, you know, I teach thinking outside the box doesn't work. If it worked, we would have already made a difference. And so what I tell the people is, you know, what will happen is we'll go to something and learn something like Chris just taught us. And we'll get encouraged and, and we'll get outside the box and, and we're thinking, I can do this, I can do this. And then we get uncomfortable and we crawl back in the box. And most of us spend so much of our time getting out and crawling back in. And what I say to them is know this, go ahead and write this down, change your thinking before you leave the box. It's going to get uncomfortable. And when it does, I'm not going to crawl back in. So you've got to change that thinking even before you leave the box. And if you're willing to do that, and if you're willing to put that action plan that Chris talked about, and if, even if it's just two or three actions, it might lead to 10, but if you can just start with something simple, you know, you know, I believe, John, that if you if you have influence with one person, that makes you a leader. And I believe in organizations anytime two or more people are in relationship. And so I, I, I truly believe that if you're willing to take those two or three steps, I believe the greatest leaders, remember, influence with one person, down, up, or across, the greatest leaders have the ability to keep one eye on the vision and the other one in the moment. And, and what Chris is saying is if you can keep one eye in the moment while you're going after the vision, that means you're staying in the game, knowing that the vision's not going to be accomplished, the goal, whatever word you want to use, without staying persistent. And the second thing I'll share around that is we cannot do this alone. If you want to achieve mm -hmm. something like Chris is talking about, whether it's lose weight, quit pornography, have the best marriage that you, John, I, I want to be sure I say this, you know, Sandra forgave me for what we did, what I did. And we have a marriage that, that I, I don't even, I, you know, I can't even go there. I'll start crying because I have a wife who knew what unconditional love and forgiveness look like, but, but we can't do it alone. And we have to share our stuff. We all got stuff. You know, everybody's got a story. Only those with too much pride to admit it have the ability to judge others. And so we all have stuff, and, and we, we got to walk with other people. You know, I call them bumper buddies, but everything Chris said, set that plan in place, show it to somebody, ask them to bump you, hold you accountable, walk alongside you, because we can't do it alone. And so everything Chris said, absolutely, high five, rock, tater, <laughs> amen, hallelujah, but do it with someone else. Don't try to do it yourself. Amen. I mean, this is one of our, um, you know, mantras here at the Eternal Leadership is uh, we're all about authenticity. We say authenticity is the new black. Um, you know, John and I have both been through situations where, you know, 
we should have died and God spared us. And when you come through the other side of that, you realize we spend all this energy wearing masks, trying to be something that we're not. And I also think that's one of the learned things that we get from church. We put on our Sunday best and our, you know, Mm -hmm. our nice, not too red pink lipstick. And we go to church and, you know, we're happy and everything's great and we're all shiny, happy people. And then we get in the car and we scream at our kids and we ignore our husband and, you know, we go home and for somebody it might be addiction to sports, for somebody it might be pornography, for somebody it might be shopping, whatever it is. And we are so worried about what people think inside the church that we don't just let it all hang out and say, hey, guys, I am a big hot mess and I need somebody to come alongside me and encourage me and hold me accountable. And that's exactly what you're saying. And so, um, you know, whether you're a man or a woman or a business owner or an employee, no matter what, you know, you are as you're sitting listening to this, please have the courage to just whatever you're dealing with, find someone to be authentic with, find someone that will walk alongside you, that will hold you accountable and encourage you. Because God did not create us to live alone. He created us to live in community. And that's when we're our best. So please, please hear this um, plea from us to be authentic. Stop trying to be something that we're not. We all do it. uh, and, And that's when the best things can happen. Yeah, and let me share something too. Uh, you know, just to what you said, Sandra. Right, a lot of times we don't share it in that church environment, not only for fear of being judged, but we're actually going to be judged. And Ford is so full of unconditional love in the Spirit. I know Ford that I can go to you with anything that's ever happened in my life, and I know I've actually shared some things with you that I've never shared with anybody for fear of judgment. That you were there to counsel, to mentor, to pray with me in a way that just inspired me to be a better human. Um, Thank you for that. And you know what? We need more people that are stepping into that. Now, Ford, I know you got to step off the call. You have a meeting, and I I so appreciate who you are. I love you. Um, Go have a great meeting, and thank you for making the time to be part of this conversation. Uh, John, it is always an honor to be with you. I love you, brother. Um, I'm, I'm so glad God called us to be dear friends, and and I love Chris's word disruptive. And if we as believers, I'm going to give you some disruptive technology. And Sandra, thank you again for all you do. I mean, just I said that before we got on the air, but I don't want to not say it uh, while we're on the air too. But here's some disruptive technology. If we as believers can learn to humble ourselves before God and submit to one another, we'll see an accelerated convergence of synchronized destiny. And how you'll know that is we'll learn to walk in unconditional love, unconditional forgiveness, and we'll be dangerously transparent. And when we do that with the world, they will be thirsty. I mean, they will hunger for what Jesus has done within us. Thank you, three, for being that in my life. Uh, You guys are awesome, and thank you for letting me be on the show with you again today. Love you, brother. Thank you for for jumping in, and thank you for sharing that because that is that that is absolute truth. What you just shared there. I love you too, and we'll talk to you soon. You got it. Thanks, Ford. Thanks, Chris. I'll see you in College Station. See you soon. Now, now, Chris, as we wrap up, I, I, I'm I know that people are going to be want to be in touch with you. Um, you know, uh, everybody listening, we just barely kind of touched 
about the book, but everything we've been talking about is in the book. And it's incredible and powerful stories that are just going to inspire you and equip you. And um, uh, Chris, could you just share how people can just get in touch with you, get the book, uh, so forth? Yeah, sure. So the book's on Amazon. So again, just Disrupting for Good, Chris Field is the is the name of the book and uh, my name as the author. And, and then, you know, the other, the other piece of that, that you asked, I have a website, uh, meet, meet com, And that's kind of my speaking, speaking, consulting, uh, website, but, you know, I, I just, I want to follow up on just one quick, quick thing. If you don't mind, we talk about walking with people. Yeah. My students, my students often ask me in the class at A&M, they, they, they ask me for advice, you know, career advice, because they, they see where I am. I'm, I'm 35, and they say, man, you know, Mr. Field, we would love to be doing something like what, what you're doing when you're, when you're 35, when we're 35. What, what are some of the things that you've done that have been the, the smartest choices you've made? You know, the things that – and, of course, this is a, a, a public university, and so – I don't talk a lot about my faith uh, specifically, but uh, the thing that I tell them that goes right along with what Sandra was saying is one of the things that I've done, and I honestly didn't do it intentionally. I mean, I did it on purpose, but uh, I didn't realize what I was doing, I guess, until I got a little bit down the road. But whenever I decide I want to become an expert on something, Mm -hmm. I find someone who is already an expert in that thing. Mm -hmm. and, And I position myself to be friends with them and to uh, develop a relationship with them. And, and certainly I want to add value to their life. And I, I try to figure out ways that I can do that as a friend, but, but I also am very upfront with them that I have a desire to be excellent at this topic that I consider them an expert in. And a lot of times that takes place in sort of informal coaching, mentoring relationship, but, you know, when I decided I wanted to be a great runner, I've run uh, 22 marathons now, and I'm by by every measure, I'm not, I'm, I'm very average. But when I decided I wanted to be the best I could be at running marathons, I wanted to be the fastest I could be with my constraints. I found a coach who was a professional runner, and I asked him to coach me. And when I wanted to start dabbling in real estate investment because I've never had a job that has retirement or a 401k. And I knew I was going to have to build, <laughs> build my own retirement. If I was going to have one, I, I sought out a friend who was a real estate guru. And I said, I just want to pick your brain and understand this. And you know what happened? Uh, I started asking him about certain properties and over time, our relationship and trust with one another grew. And he said, Hey, Chris, why don't we do some real estate together? And and all of a sudden, not only is he now my mentor, he's my partner. And that would have never happened if I didn't have the guts to reach out to him and say, hey, I don't know anything about this topic, but I think you're an expert and I'd love to learn from you. And so I've done this every part of my life, nonprofit, ministry, uh, personal finance, marriage, parenting. I've got an expert in every topic I care about. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. Like, I've got a guy that is the parenting, my parenting expert. He's a, a therapist who specializes in, in parent child relationship. And 
he's my friend. I mean, he's one of my best friends. And when I need parenting advice, counsel, encouragement, um, I go to him and say, hey, man, <laughs> what do you think about this topic? Or what do you think about dealing with this with my three-year-old? So I just want to encourage people. We all know these people, but a lot of times our, our, our lack of humility, our, our pride, our fear of rejection kind of keeps us from engaging them relationally. And my experience has been that people want to share their gifts and people want to help other people. And that as long as you're not asking too much from them, I think we can find topic uh, experts in every topic we might want to become an expert in. Well, I, I am so glad that you shared that. That has been, you know, I stumbled upon that um, based on some advice my dad gave me when I was going into flight school. Always finding mm. somebody that's just an expert and better at something than you are. But also yep. being, you know, but also kind of having that mindset where you're willing to almost kind of humble yourself and say, I might not have the answers. And if this person's getting the results I want, I need to listen and actually, like you talked about, right, make some commitments, you know, put some things into action. And what, and for right. me, that's also required uh, changing. And, yep. you know, but I think, you know, being in that, in that uh, position where you're allowing other people to mentor and disciple you. Oh my gosh, that's powerful. Like Ford said, right? You have to, you can't do it alone. You have to do it in a community. And you've made these people who are giving you advice something in your life and now they've become some of your best friends. And man, I think that's that's how you enjoy life is your you know, these victories together, right? Everything you're doing in Ghana, it's part of a team. You talked about the the two people in the bush and these incredible stories and the stories with the mother and the the child. This is about relationship and it's about valuing people at an individual level. Um, and also not being, um, uh, being unafraid to also just share your f fears and concerns, but also have somebody to celebrate with and share that joy and those victories also in it, Chris. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why we're here. That's why God made us. And that's why he made us to be people of community. All right. Awesome. Any final thoughts, Sandra here as we're, we're, uh, we, we kind of hitting our time limit here. Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to add that while a lot of our talk today has been about Ghana and slavery and, and that sort of thing, that disruption can happen anywhere in your everyday life. You know, in the book, Chris has some great examples of, you know, a preschool teacher who disrupted the, the teaching model by partnering with a local retirement home. Um, you know, disruption can be anything, anywhere in any industry. You can do it at home with your kids, you know. You can do it with your husband when he comes home from work today. You can disrupt your norm and, you know, um, say, hey, get in the car. I'm taking you for dinner. I mean, disruption can happen in any area. So, you know, I just wanted to, to make that comment and say, you know, as a listener, think about what you could disrupt today because that's when great things happen. Love that. What a great way to end. Chris, thank you. You're awesome. What a great conversation. My goodness. Um, that was rich and deep. Uh, Sandra, thank you for, man, just what you bring from your life experience and your heart. And uh, everybody out there, um, I'd love for you to think about uh, what Sandra just said. Is What is maybe that one thing that you can disrupt? And like Chris said, one thing to commit to. One or two small things that you can actually be doing. And just who can you share that with that can kind of help you keep showing up 
in just making those small changes because I'm convinced you string together all these little small changes, all of a sudden you see exponential impact and growth in an area that's important. So, all right, guys, thank you so much. And um, I look forward, Chris, to our next conversation. That was awesome. John, thanks so much. Sandra, thank you, guys. Y'all have a great day. 